0: Quiet on
1: the set! Hello and welcome to WIFT Podcast. I'm Vice Chair and DOP Jaro Valdek. When it comes to shooting films, they say never work with children or animals. But what about filming an entire feature around the life of one impressive horse? On Friday, 28th of May, WIFT board member Fiona Kinsella was in conversation with fellow producer Tracy O'Riordan about her film Dream Horse. Based on a true story, this warm, wonderful feature film features Stoney Colette and Damien Lewis, and will be released in Irish cinemas on the seventh of June. This event has been made possible by the support of Screen Skills Ireland.
0: So you're very welcome today to uh, another in conversation uh, with today producer uh, Tracy O'Reardon, uh, co-producer on. The uh, wonderful film, uh, Dream Horse. And uh, Tracy is going to be in conversation with our board member, uh, producer Fiona Kinsella. So I have to say, I'm, I'm really interested to hear this uh, conversation because I am, I'm sure, I haven't seen Dream Horse yet, but I am sure this is going to be a film for me. I have always, going back years, loved so-called underdog films. First of all, love films but with horses, racing, going right back to the original National Velvet, the, re, the remake of that film and other films like uh, Sea Biscuit, Secretariat and so on. They're just my cup of tea. Uh, and for all the kind of reasons that you might say are cliches, they certainly are feel good films. They're kind of, um, you'll, you'll leave that film like that feeling um, more joyful, I think, in some kind of ways, which is so important, uh, particularly today. Um, and I guess, you know, they kind of remind me of, and I do not mean this in a kind of a patronizing way. They remind me in a brilliant way of like Sunday afternoons with family. They're those kinds of films. And back when, a long time ago, Uh, in my first family and actually today those kinds of films still now uh, with my with my grandson particularly that you can think what would we all watch together that we'd love and I know this is one of those films so it's on my list for that very purpose so we are going to start I believe with a trailer of um, Dream Horse and we're going to go straight over then to Fiona uh, who's going to take it from there so uh, thank you very much for joining us today. 1683, please. £32.28, please. I'm telling you, boys, she was my horse and she won. Were... I haven't seen him in here before. He's a racehorse, does he? Owned. Well he is, he almost lost everything.
1: Things are a little tight cash wise these
2: days, so. Nice, sir. Line. Cheers, Naris.
1: I need something
0: to look forward to when I get up in the morning. I'm going to breed a race horse. Aye, and I'm going to play fly off of wheels. It's normally wealthy professionals who are going for this kind of thing. There's ways of doing these things, isn't there? 20 people in the village put in a tenner a week for two years. When the horse is born, everyone will be owners. We'll all have an
1: equal share. Ha! If you lot are good enough to own a bloody race horse, so am I. It's a tenner every week, Kirby, you pillock. Oh, just his knee. He needs a name. What
0: about Dream Alliance? Is our dream, and we're all in it together, so Dream Alliance. Dream Alliance! Dream Alliance! Dream Alliance. When you were little. Remember, there's a less than 1% chance this horse will ever win a race. He's facing the wrong way. If he keeps going in that direction, he'll end up back in the village. He's <laughs> pretty rough around the edges.
1: Governor, he's definitely got something about him. Seric character, like his own.
0: Be brave. This is what's important to do. We're
1: going to the races. Our oh, horse is gonna race! Ah! So
0: proud of you. Seems like anything was possible.
2: The horse from nowhere has captured the hearts of the nation. Dreams of
1: Beauty. probably
0: Valley's life. We lost our jobs, our community, even our pride. And then Dream came along and reminded us what life was like when you were four.
3: Brilliant. Well done. Uh, I, I, it's, it's everything that uh, Susan just described uh, um, about the type of film that it is. And... I really loved it. I've just kind of finished watching it. I was crying. I was roaring at the screen. You're kind of cheering the horse on and everything. So it's amazing. Well done. Um. So, Tracy, I, I guess, first of all, do you want to just talk a little, little bit about the story of the film? <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, so it's based on a, a true story, um, and they have stuck really closely to the story. Um, they had to concertina, obviously, ten years into you know, kind of just well over ninety minutes, based on this amazing woman called Jan Vokes, who lives in a um, in Wales, uh, in in this town, uh, kind of like um, you know, sixty minutes up from Cardiff, in in in, in one of the valleys. And um, that those towns were sort of decimated by the mines shutting down and industry closing. And she decides she's she's sort of, you know, she's late on, you know, her children have left home. She's caring for her parents. She is um, looking, you know, looking after her husband who's got a disability and she decides that she's going to breed a racehorse. horse and she's gonna buy a mare She's going to breed a racehorse and rear it on her allotment in the back of her garden in this, out of the back of her small kind of council house in her Welsh village. And she forms a um, syndicate with the village. So just, you know, lots of people don't have a lot of money at all and are not from the racing, you know, uh, have had nothing to do with this world of horse racing. And they all put in a tenner a week and they form a syndicate. And then sort of against the odds, um, the horse begins to win and begins to do really well, and you know it's based on this woman Jan, and um, so that was around 2000 and I think five six so so around that that time and yeah so um, they they bred this uh, winning racehorse and then I won't go into too much more because the story kind of unfolds and there's a bit of you know they, they, there's some ups and downs along the way and but it's it's a film about um you know believe you know she had a belief that she wanted to do this th- this this thing and um she s- sort of it was about this this wanting something extra in her life you know feeling that she wanted something besides being a mother a wife a daughter you know caring you know looking after people she wanted something else she was yearning for something else And she found it in this ambition to sort of to to rear this horse and she studied and she she got all the books. She uh, got all the magazines. She really put her mind to it in this. She's in this really determined way. And she pulled it off and she entered this world of the racing elite. Um, And, you know, when we were making the film, we would go around to different stables and they would just go, this just doesn't happen. It, it shouldn't have happened it you kind of it will probably never happen again it's one of those it's so against the odds so it is a real underdog story in, in
3: that sense of the word yeah I, I think if you were to come up with that as an idea it would seem really far-fetched and the fact that it's true is it's amazing Um so it, it's I'm, I'm right in thinking that it was Catherine Butler had done a documentary called Dark Horse, which is about that story. Right.
2: Catherine Butler was an exec at Film 4 when Dark Horse, um, the producers and the director of Dark, dark Horse, those um, different set of producers and directors, made a documentary called Dark Horse, which is a wonderful documentary. On, I think, and I think it's on Netflix. So they've made the documentary, and Catherine was there at the time at Film Four, and then she left Film Four and went to work for a production company called Raw. And she always loved this idea. She was just like, this would make a great film. And so she took her passion for it to Raw. And then they went about hiring a writer, uh, Neil, Neil Kai, who went down to um, Wales and really spent a lot of time with Jan and Brian, and also Howard, who was. Who's uh, in represented in the film by Damian Lewis and uh, Howard had been in a syndicate before, and he he's an accountant. So he sort of they formed this alliance. Jan and Howard, um, she was the barmaid, and he used to come and have pints in 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 the Working Men's Club, and they probably would never have met if it wasn't for you know for that. And she then found out that he um, he'd been in the syndicate so yeah so he was sort of he he um so Neil really the writer really studied studied it and well well, went down there and really immersed himself Uh, he's that kind of writer and then wrote the script and I I wasn't on board at that point I came on board because I had worked with Catherine on a film I produced a film called The Selfish Giant that Catherine exec when she was at film four. And The Selfish Giant has some horses in it. Um, a <laughs> um, Two trotting horses and working uh, like a scrap of a horse that's used to take the scrap around in the horses and carts. And I think... I remember her sending me a text and saying, I've got this film called Dream Horse, and I, I'm looking for someone to come and produce it with me, and I reply back, does it have children and horses? <laughs> <laughs> and she went, no, just horses. And I went, okay, let's talk. Because I thought, because Selfish Giant had, had kids and horses, and I was a bit like, I don't know if I could so easily do that combo again. I think... Um, you know, even though that was brilliant, that film, um, and that was a privilege to work on, I was just, I was kind of quite wary. It's
3: so hard to work with animals. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about that later, but we might as well talk about that now. So, You had a relatively tight shooting schedule, I think it was shot over 28 days. And so you're kind of, you're depending on horses, they're a big part of the film. So how did you manage that?
2: Well, um, so we shot the races actually outside that 28 days, because there would have been no way, I mean, we did just the drama section of the shoot in 28 days. Um, And we had six days of filming the races, which we shot during prep. So while we were prepping for our incredibly tight drama shoot, we were shooting a week of horse races and Catherine had um, convinced the kind of all the, the, well, Catherine had um, convinced the sort of people who were backing the film that we needed to pre-buy 30 horse races. 30 racehorses sorry 30 uh, 30 racehorses um, which I always take my hat off to her it's just one of those things where you go wow um, you've really you've managed to do that and uh, and this is sort of um, an incredible feat but I when I came on board um, Catherine was working with um, this uh, a co-producer called Kasha, and she had worked with this company called the Devil's Horseman and then they had, between Casher working with them, they had gone off and shot this sequence of the crown, which involved a horse race. So they had started talking to them and really without them and their absolutely brilliant expertise, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, it, it was such military precision shooting these horse races. The horses can only run a certain amount. They can only do a certain amount. We had one set up per Kind of run at two jumps, um, so the ca- I had five cameras shooting, and they had to get it. There was no repeating that take because then we had to move to another section of the course and do another take. So it was between Aros, amazing the amazing director, and our first AD, and that the Devil's Horseman team. Um, it was military position filming those races, but they they sat out as I said they sat outside. schedule we shot them in sort of march and then we went and shot the main shoot about four weeks later sort of april may you had to pre-buy the horses (laughs) well yes in that they when they sort of um well one of the really important things is also it's 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 what type of horses you get and i knew that from the selfish giant that you have to cast you know, it's really important to cast your horses or get people who who know about horses and their temperament because if you get a horse with a really good temperament, like in The Selfish Giant, we had a scrapping horse and you could have led him into the centre of set, stood, you know, all walked off, gone for lunch, come back three hours later, he'd be there. He just was the most brilliant animal, but a different type of temperament horse we would have, been you know it would have scuppered us so the the devil's horseman went around and um went around and bought bought the horses and so we sort of were on they were sort of kind of on uh, sort of
3: it,
2: it was just the easiest way to do it instead of being on loan to the production for lots of various financial insurance things it was the kind of easier way to do it and then they were you know they we the the horses went to um went to the stables afterwards so you know we you know they all got homed afterwards so yeah. it, it was and the devil's horsemen that was part of their prep was going around and buying these horses and trying to buy ones that look like dream the real dream uh, as well you know um, trying to look for, for those so um yeah it was I had never done anything on that scale so that's that was sort of very exciting um but yes, without The Devil's Horseman, we, it would have been, that I think, yeah, we, we had to have that expertise.
3: Yeah. And how many, um, like, how do you go about casting Dream? Is, is it just, is it a matter of looking at a horse who looks like Dream or, and how many well, of the horses do, of him did you have?
2: <laughs> there were seven dreams, um, but there was the foal and then the colt, and then we had five adult dreams. So we had three racing horses and two hunters. And so the hunters are, so of the two hunters, one of those is Beau. And that's probably the one where Tony's Tony has um, one-to-ones in the stable. And that's always Beau. Um, just, uh, you know, a quiet temperament, uh, you know, a, a gentle temperament. Um, obviously, you know, that they would... The one thing we were able to do was use a. Um, um, his dream has got a white blaze down mm. his nose, so we were able to use this special kind of makeup to create the blaze. Or some of the horses had kind of half of a blaze, so we would have to sort of fill it in. But yes, they would look for. They would. They were looking for the horses that kind of chestnutty color with the white blaze, um, and then. It, you know, they, um, it's, I suppose it's sort of, you know, they would, they would just get, they would go around and, and kind of, I don't, you know, they know what kind of temperament, it's sort of about temperament and and getting the the race, the horse races and the, the racing horses and the hunters. Um, but what they also did was they prepped those horses at their stables. So, you know, they would get them used to people walking around with cameras. Yeah. Um, or equipment near the horses so they do that kind of so so and um are one of the one of the dreams um they had every day for the scene there's a scene where there is a horse injury and um Daniel uh, I think from Devil's Horseman had every day with for a month taught that horse to lie down and he would just then gently you know Kind of put his put his sort of gently put his weight on the horse because when a horse is injured you have to keep it on the ground. Oh yeah. uh, When they fall at the races because if they get up suddenly they can do themselves more injuries. So you kind of one of the things is that someone would you rest the horse to kind of keep it stable on the ground. So he did that every day for four to six weeks. So by the time we got on set the horse would just lie down and let let Daniel or the person playing the vet go near the horse. And the horse knew exactly what was happening and wasn't stressed, and had they just basically worked over time to get the horse used to doing exactly
3: what was required. Okay. Um, I'm going to move off the horses and onto the human cast. <laughs> so, how did you go about assembling the cast? <laughs> Shaheen Baig, uh, amazing
2: casting director, was attached when I came on board and tony was attached but uh that no one else was attached at that point so um it was brilliant to get damien damien's um got welsh heritage and he's got quite you know there's a connect there's a real connection to the to the place there and he i think he's in the production notes one of the notes is when when i think he'd seen seen and and just went someone's going to make a film of this one day surely um and then um it was just you know it it was a question of um when you've got real life people that it's there's an appearance aspect but it's also sort of do we think that they kind of are the essence of 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 that? Per- Is there something in them that that that's the truth of that that person? So they may not look. You know, it's it's hard to get people to look to looks who you don't go for looks particularly. You know, you have to get the person who's the the, the best actor in the role. But obviously, you you are trying to be as true. We were trying to be as true to the story. So, um, I. I just, but I found it a joy because I didn't know um, there were just a lot of a lot of the well there's some of those Welsh actors that I knew to see, but I wasn't that familiar with them. And, and they kind of are when you meet the real individuals, they're they're they're, they're sort of very distinct from each other, and um, that you know they're, they're they're sort of you know that they make up this village um, and. I think just one by one Shaheen just managed to get these people in the room and um i think it's it's just it's a lot of it was down to having sort of a very very good casting director who had had a great eye and also a actually in fairness a ross I, 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 the director is um you know he he his knowledge of the talent pool and the Welsh talent was brilliant. So he would often, you know, cite, you know, he, it sort of, he sort of, I, it felt to me like he had a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of sort of actors and their range and what they could do and what they felt he could bring to it. So I think that that pairing worked really well with him and Shaheen. And
3: Eros, so at what point did he come on board? Was he always um, a pastor? Well,
2: I think, um, Catherine, Catherine tells this story that she was looking, you know, she was like, who could direct us? Who could direct this? And I think she, someone said, oh, what about A. Ross Lynn? And um, his name is spelled E-U-R-O-S. So she, when she saw it, the email, I think she just says, she was thinking, who is this Greek director I've never heard of? And then looked him up and saw the work he'd done. And um, and I think then then met him and it was, when you meet Eros, um, he, he's, I think that she, he had such a connection to the story. He knew, he knew the story. It's sort of folklore in Wales, this story. Um, and he knew it. And I think he knew he want, what he wanted to bring to it. And that was to sort of treat, um, you know, the people with respect and an honesty and a truth and, and how to do that in a story that's almost, as you kind of maybe said at the beginning if it wasn't true you wouldn't maybe believe it and um and so I think yeah he he had a deep he had a deep connection to it and I think part of it when you watch it um the sort of that that um there was a sort of I think there's a real joy to the celebration of Wales in the film.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: I it, I love yeah. I love that about it and it's sort of I think it's hard to, it's a balance isn't it it's it's sort of unashamedly Welsh and it's very proud to be Welsh uh, but I think it gets the balance it's just perfect it it, um it's just sewn very it's just sewn into the sort of DNA of this, the the story as well and I think that comes from Aeros as, as
3: well. I think so I think it, it that definitely it just hops off the screen and it's it, it's it's absolutely beautiful like you, it it's not overdone at all and you just you just get swallowed up in it from um a non-welsh person's point of view i can say that um and you can see as well that eros treats just the whole people from the valley um with a lot of respect and has an understanding of it and of, in the publicity notes as well I read that like Damien Lewis that that all of the Welsh cast probably brought that with them too um yeah for sure
2: yeah. for sure I mean it, um um I think it's I think um they've sort of felt it's sort of um it just was a lovely atmosphere on on set mm-hmm. I, I think that that uh kind of um feeling of sort of bonding around the, around their kind of roots because some of them you know w- some of most of them were were welsh
3: how do you manage you're you're telling a story that's uh, it's based on a true story and um brian uh, uh, and jan and howard were involved in, in the creation of the future as well uh, to a certain extent or how much were they involved <laughs>
2: Um, well, so, so what Catherine, um, Catherine, from the very beginning was, we we need, we want to make it, we want to make it with you. Um, you know, we want, we, we want people involved, uh, you know, um, but I think that, um, i think she won their their trust um and they felt very involved in when we were doing what what who the cast you know when the casting decisions you know we we were you know um uh, you know when jan found out tony was you know when jan was told tony was playing with her, playing her so there there was an involvement um but in a way they ca- you know they came down to set once or maybe twice so and then obviously there's that there is there is um at the end of the film there. well I won't say too much but but, you know they 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 came down one day when we were at the race courses and then there's a tiny little segment with them in so I think they were there for two days so it it didn't it felt like that they were they had given their blessing to come you know go go for it and take it forth now and they um uh so there was an involvement but it wasn't uh they were kept informed all the time but it, it wasn't sort of kind of in that didn't go into sort of minutiae detail but i do remember howard um commenting the real howard commenting he would never have worn a barber <laughs> I think he that was a specific note but generally it was um it was sort of that you know they were really happy to be kept informed and you know kind of invited
3: down and but let us get on with it in a way. And actually just on that on Owen's heel you know the tattoos and everything are they his or are they taken from are they Brian's? <laughs> um
2: they're they're Brian's, yeah. Okay, I was just interested. Tattoos. Yeah, yeah, they're Brian's tattoos. Yeah,
3: yeah. City question, but worth it. No,
2: no. No, <laughs> from what I. can't... I mean, it's quite a long time ago we filmed this now, so yeah. they're, they're definitely not. They're definitely not his. And I do remember Brian. Yeah, Brian having tattoos. Jan's got some tattoos as well. I think the real And, and in the film, I think she's got.
3: She's Tony's got a tattoo. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, um, and. The location was it wasn't exactly the village where the syndicate lived, but it was a, a neighboring town.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, Blynavon is the town we chose to film in, and it's. I think it's sort of a, a, over the. It's a sort of over one of the into into the next valley, um, and it, it was it was an it was an aesthetic. It, in some ways, it was an aesthetic thing. It was. I think it was a, it's slightly smaller, but also. Because it's on a hill, it just it allowed the camera to do more interesting things really around the village, um, just to get you know the aspects and then and um, so it was it yeah though it was probably a kind of um, it just was on a more interesting sort of ge- geography of the town for us to navigate and to
3: choose these choose these places to film in. Okay. And um, when you were there, when you were shooting there, you set up an internship program for the trainees in the local community. Uh, um, how did how was that? Was um,
2: well, there was there was a, there was um, this group called Foot in the Door, and what they do is they um, they it, I think they had sort of maybe twenty five interns, and and they're people who come from who wouldn't normally ever think that they had access to a job in the film industry. You know, it's one of those schemes that actively looks for people who would not, this would not be on their radar. Um, so it, it was, it's a, it's really, really well run. Um, and they really, they really sort of looked after it really. We had, you know, we had some some trainees going into the makeup department and, um, you know all, all the sorts of different departments we had a couple of trainees in, in production and we had um a great trainee in the art department who um um i think he, you know he 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 was immediately going on to another onto another film so it was a, it was a really wonderful scheme so I we went down i think a ross did a did a talk i went down and did a talk and it, it's really about putting it on, putting it on the radar really, because it's so far removed from what they would have, what they thought their options were. So it, it really is that sort of foot in the door, sort of early on, have a look at it, see what you think, see this is, see if this is for you. And I think it's, I think it's it's brilliant. It's really needed because I don't think there's anything, anything, I, I hadn't seen a scheme that was sort of quite specifically aimed at, 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 at 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 that level at at, at that particular that is that particular those particular groups so um, and so I was really uh, yeah I
3: thought it was really really important. No it's brilliant it's great and it's good to know that um, a couple of them went on to work on other films as well it's great. Um, So I just have a couple of questions in from some of our members and one of them is about the arbor and um, it's about how how did you go about pitching raising funds for something as unusual and non-genre as the arbor so art angel is this
2: amazing arts organization in england and they were running a a scheme at the time um where they would um i'm really this is 10 years ago now so this is a good one they were working um with artists to make sort of four different you know you had um they had a commission and encouraged artists to send in their pictures and one of those pictures was was um something called Buttershaw and it was uh by an artist filmmaker called Claire Bernard and they decided that that was one of the pictures that that won and it was going to get was going to get some funding automatic funding from Channel 4 um, so I had, um, I was, I think they sent, they had, I had been working in Liverpool on um, some three low budget films that were being made for Liverpool City of Culture in 2007. And one of those was Terence Davies of Time in the City. And I think they had seen my name attached to that. And so Artangel phoned me up. Um, and I went in and so I met Clio and I was shown a short where um, she had done a, lips, a sh- one short where the actors were lip syncing. And also, we talked about this film, Rita Debut, Sue and Bob* too. And I was like, I watched that film when I was fourteen. Um, I was, uh, it was really one of those films that st- stuck with me. So, um, and I, but I didn't know anything about Andrea Dunbar, who had written it, and had written a play. Her first play was *The Arbor*. Um, so I sort of became fascinated as Clio, Clio the project of Clio had at that point been going up to this estate called Buttershaw where Andrea lived, um, for a year and recording audio interviews and she had about 80 hours. She'd just been going up there recording them. So I came on board and I was a bit like, okay, and, and at that point, the arbor what the buttershaw was about media representation of one of the worst estates on europe over the past 20 years buttershaw had gained this reputation as one of the worst estates one of the worst places to live um so it was about media representation of that estate um but as we when i became involved in it it was quite it was quite sprawling and um that you could have made about six or seven films. So what we did was I was like, okay, we, I think we need to stop recording and I think we just need to see what we've got in this 80 hours. And then it became much more about a mother-daughter story. And when it became, so sort of answer the question, we, we we had Channel 4's backing from the get-go because they were, they were involved in this Heart Angel scheme. Then when I came on board, I needed to raise further finance and I went to the UK Film Council as it was at the time before it changed, well, before the BFI, it moved into the BFI. Um, So they were like, well, you need a sales agent. And then no sales agent would take it because they were like a lip syncing film set on an estate about mm, difficult subject matter well, don't really well and a first time director so we'll come back to us when you've made it so I was in this sort of slightly catch-22 where the film council was like well we can't give you money unless you've got a sales agent and the sales agent was like well of all those reasons we're not quite ready to come on board but I did find, I did find I did find a sales agent um and um and so once I got the, once I got uh, the sales agent, I, um, I could get that piece of funding, and, um, and then I really had to bring the budget down, um, because there was no way we were going to get what we needed to make it, so I don't know if you've got producers on the call, but um, this is all familiar Mm. territory, so I kind of halved kind of half half the budget um and shot it in Claire shot it in 17 days and we kind of just we yeah we just had to be really focused about what we were going to do and how we were going to put it together because we had already done an audio edit and then we had to do a section of filming and then do um do another edit so it was quite a complex it was a very complex it was quite complex to put together um but i think it was also it was my first feature it was claire's first feature so we were like well hey well let's go you know kind of yeah. if we knew what we knew now we'd be like going well there's no way we're gonna even attempt that so we, there was a lot there was there, there is a lot to be said for um you know, just taking the, being your first time and you just take the leap. And I was really lucky to meet her because she, it was, she was a first time, it was her first time feature making, but she had, she was an artist filmmaker, but she'd also was very, she'd been through development processes with the BFI. She knew, she just knew a lot. And I had sort of come up through production and line producing. So I think I was really ready. I mean, I was, you know, but, um, so yeah, there was a certain amount of, Leap of faith. And I think if, if it wasn't for Lizzie, Frankie, who's now at the BFI um, and, and well, Art Angel to begin with, and then Lizzie really championed that film, I think we, we would have really, really struggled. Okay. We
3: were fortunate. And I've also, there's another question here, just wondering about the process for getting uh, Dream Horse funded. I was a producer
2: for hire on this. I have my own production company, but every now and then I will go and work on other people's productions. And this is when Catherine emailed me, I had a sort of gap in my schedule. So the finance was pretty much there when I came on board, Um, but it was film four backed it um, really, you know, they they loved it, passionate about it. Warners uh, came in. And um Ingenious as part of the funding and um and then film Film Cymru and the, the Welsh government they give sort of support and tax breaks. So um it was it was um and then there was a sale to Bleaker Street in the in the US, so it was those, I think it was a group of those funders.
3: Probably a little bit less problematic
2: to fund than Arbor. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it was. I'd never done. You know, I'd never done an, a, a film that
3: involved.
2: Yes. Um, you know, I'd. Yeah, I suppose it's sort of different in different ways. I mean, I I think that I hadn't done something on this budget level before, so it was how how do you how do you make up those numbers um, and um and I hadn't done you know like I hadn't hadn't worked with Ingenious before where you bring in my I've worked with public funders but so that was that was that was really interesting I think um it was yeah so that um that had been done before I as I said be, be, before I, it was still you know it's always changing and it's always moving around but it, the key people were in there when I came on board and um I think they they just fell in love with the story and really believed Catherine's passion and A. vision for it. So that really helped.
3: Great. And another question, um, uh, so anonymous. Uh, this is absolutely the feel good film we need after the difficult and sad times we've just been through. On that, can I ask about the decision to sit on the film during the pandemic and release it now? Um, cinemas are reopening. And how come you didn't release it via a streamer service like Netflix or Amazon over the past year? Was it because you knew it would be the kind of film we would want after the pandemic, or were you waiting for cinemas to reopen?
2: Um, yes, I think yeah that um, we always this was always a film that it needs you know it was a cinema film it's. Um, I, I, what's interesting now is that it's that we always knew we need it's it's sort of, it's not necessarily aimed at the older generation because now i can now when i watch it, i think god it's an amazing family film it's one of those that you can kind of sort of safely like having just spent a pandemic with my two children at home going what film and, and sort of getting Kind of twenty minutes into a film, you thought was okay, and then there's something like deeply inappropriate. Uh, this is a safe film, a to, to, family film, but it was always thought we need, needed that older audience going. And when were they going to feel safe to go back in the cinemas? And the cinemas are really important for this film. They were always part of the release plan, and um, it it was one of those that you know. I think at the beginning of the pandemic, it was one of those that people didn't know. It was supposed to it was supposed to be it was supposed to be released in april last year around the time of the grand yeah. national and then it was supposed to be linked to the American horse racing season in May you've got the Kentucky Derby and all around that so that was all built into it so it was just really it was really important film to to um to wait for the cinemas but it was how long how long do we have to wait so we've had there have been a lot of conversations of trying to look into the crystal ball and see when would be the right time and this felt this felt this felt like the right time I mean there's a lot of movies coming out and there's a lot of competition but yes it is one of those things people kept saying this is the type of film people will want to see um so I'm really glad that it's having I'm really glad it's going to be on the big screen but I'm not sure when your cinemas are opening in Ireland because my sister texted me this morning going when can I see it and I'm like I don't know
3: I, there's another announcement today, I think. So I don't know if cinemas are on that yet.
2: <laughs> so I was in I was in the view in Leicester Square last night um, for the for the premiere, which felt so unusual to be to be in a cinema. So um, and that it was all socially distanced. So it felt there were two screenings and they were half full. So it felt um, it felt different for sure. But I think people were so delighted I kept looking around me and looking at other people watching it and going oh they're not my family member or no. oh, gosh, they look really interesting you know just it was a real joy to be able to sort of watch other people <laughs> watching things and um so yes it was um it I think it's one of those films it's just we there that there was there was a time there there was there was a genuine consensus amongst everybody that we would try and wait till the cinemas opened um, for this film. Everybody, yeah. everybody,
3: everybody felt the same. Yeah, no, I think it, it, it is a cinema film. It, yeah. <laughs> um, I've one question it's going back to two horses again, yeah. but it's, it's more of a general question. It's uh, what are some of the biggest issues working with kids and horses on a, a larger shoot or in your experience?
2: um well well with with the horses we on on dream horse we work with the american humane society and that's the stamp at the end of the film so they come on your set and they make sure that all the animals are treated fairly and well and because there's there's a lot of you know there's there's controversy particularly in the states around horse racing and how animals are treated i mean not just particularly i, mean, I think it's i think it's it it, it it, the controversy is, is stronger in in, in the states um, and so we we wanted to make sure that it was at the top of our agenda you know we love you know we all are, we're animal lovers um, we wanted to make sure that they were you know that they were really really well taken care of and managed and that no animal was put under duress because of fitting to our schedule um so those are all the things I mean you know the thing is with the horses they're really they're entirely unpredictable um you know any you know so so there's all the sort of safety thing. you know there's the there's the horses with the right temperament um there's the um you know getting horses used to the camera equipment people walking around carrying unusual objects because for them it's like they see you know that's like why is there a black box you know why is there a big black box on that human or that that human shape has now got this added element to it and I don't understand and I'm gonna get very panicked so it's all about really good prep working with people who are they I mean I loved I loved working with the the um, the jockeys um because they're just they're they're just so in tune with you know it's their it's their what what they do day to day so it was really interesting seeing them and seeing their connection with the animals and how they work with the animals um so I think it's the, the unpredictable unpredictable element and we just we just did not want a horse to be injured you know we would just really you know and any if you're doing you can you can lower the risk but you you can never you can never there's always going to be the tiniest risk that a a horse might fall and get injured you know it it just it it may happen you cannot completely rule it out you can just put in place all the things all the safety measures um but we did have you know we were just very careful the horse wranglers on the set were really careful not to just let crew members just wander behind the horse or um the horses and just about keeping them just making sure they weren't overtired and they weren't overworked but yeah unpredictability and then um children I think it's um it also di- I think it um when I worked on the Selfish Giant um I think Connor and Sean were sort of 11 and 13 I think or 12 and 14 um so, and then actually on a really recent film, we worked with a six-year-old girl. Um, I think the thing is that, that you, what you want, what you want is, is it's it, the sort of building of trust. It's a huge thing, building the trust with the director and um, the child, but also the parents are hugely, hugely important of um, because they're the ones that know the child Best and um, so you. A lot of talking goes on between the production and the child's parents to make sure that we can uh, understand um, what are the kind of treat are there trigger points. Are they kind of you know is there is like when 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 might they get tired or what stresses them out or what's going to you know how well to sort of make how how to make the environment and. Um, and then there's loads of rules and regulations that you have to adhere to and so I think the timing things as well with children is it's really important but it's tricky scheduling because you have to uh, different ages have different hours on set and when you have to um, how many hours on camera and then how much tutoring and um, and um, so yeah and then uh, I mean, we had um, with the most recent film I've done with Clio. It's called Ali and Ava. Um, we had a six-year-old girl, and we didn't real. One day, we were doing this school scene, and we don't. We only had the school for the day, actually the morning, and we had to shoot this scene where she goes up the climbing frame, but she won't come down, and we didn't know that her class at school that day were all going off on a trip to see some horses so she was she turned up she was like i'm not you know she was so upset and she was like i'm not doing it i'm not coming out of the toilet locked herself in the toilet and we did we it's just one of those things that that the parents didn't Feel they could tell us because they were just like, oh well, you know, it's the schedule and we have to stick to the schedule, and you know, she'll just have to miss her school trip. But actually, we could have, had we known, and that she was going to be upset, we could have probably, we could have probably moved it around, or at least said to her, okay, this is, we're going to take you there at the weekend, or you you know, uh, which is what my co-producer ended up doing at the end of the film. We treated her to this day out, but that caused us this huge I mean it was touch and it was really touch and go whether she was going to do anything and we totally when we found out it was totally understandable um and ran, we were milling around the. I was at the school at that point and she was in, in, in back at our base in the costume and makeup and I was just getting these calls and then I just was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And all the kids, other kids were filing into their classrooms and I was walking, I was on the phone going, what are we could do? And in front of me was a girl about the same height, with long hair, exactly the same length, the same colour, walking into our classroom. And um, all the kids in the school had, had sort of the morning off to kind of come and be our extras. We'd arranged it. So I saw this girl and I was like, can we make you you know, can we, will you, can I talk to your mum? Will your mum let you kind of come and work on the film with us? Um, So we did this very, this bit of, with this bit of negotiation, we'd already got the clearance for all of the kids to be in the film. So we did her, she had very distinct hair, the six year old, she had these coils. So this other girl went into hair and makeup had hers done and by the time our girl Sophia came to the set the fact that she had this other girl to kind of go up the climbing frame with her come down and that we could shoot from different angles she sort of had a buddy yeah and it sort of it 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 actually made it you know it, it we got through I don't know how you know we it just sort of somehow worked out um but I think that's that's the thing about children you kind of can't you know, it's, there's an unpredictability element there as well. So it's just, and it's how you deal with those moments where you're going, oh my God, you know, we, we, we don't have another school, but we don't, we, we're so up against the wall and we don't, we, we can't reschedule this day. What do we do? And so you have to sort of, you yeah, know, we have to sort of think very kind of quickly and laterally and, um, and, and, but also we totally got why she was upset. It was our bad in a way we had to sort of go, that's really bad communication on behalf of us. Cause we should have, you know, yeah. we could have, we could have
3: circumvented that whole problem. Well, I think I'm going to start wrapping everything up. This has been a really lovely lunchtime. Thank you. <laughs> um, just before, just one last question. And um, what have you got coming up? <laughs>
2: Um, so right after Dream Horse, I shot this film with Clio uh, Barnard, our fourth feature. That's called Ali and Ava, and it's a love story set in Bradford. And um, that bit was held up by that. We just shot our pickups with the wonderful Robbie Ryan, uh, did our pickups in March last year, and it was the, we were up in Bradford all talking about this virus and whether we should take it seriously or not. And I had my sisters phoning me from Ireland going, what are you doing in the UK? You know, we're shutting down here. Um, And uh, now we all know what was going on, um, thanks to all the the revelations. so we i just i spent the year trying to finish the film in the edit it was it was very slow going it was um but we knew we had it in the can so we were lucky uh, for those shoots that were caught halfway or had just started uh, that was that was just you know, that was just a nightmare for, for, for those, but it just was very, everything took five times as long. So we're hoping to have some news soon about some festivals for that, but um, we
3: don't know what festivals
2: are going to actually
3: happen. Yeah. It's, it's like you said earlier, it's uh, looking, just trying to predict the future what it was, it's looking into the crystal ball kind of thing. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And do you do you have anything lined up to shoot or to go into production I
2: don't actually I've got things that well I've got scripts at different I've got about sort of six or seven projects on my slate and they're all at very different stages but I have got one script that's having a polish so we're going to start packaging that soon and sending it out um I've got a tv series um that's uh, about a revolutionary feminist in 1980s Leeds and is amazing uh, that I've been working on with that writer she's a Liverpool-based writer uh, I've been working throughout you know throughout the pan you know developing that um and I've, so, I've sort of got a few books that I want to option and um yeah just looking at kind of I've it just took a lot to sort of get, get those done and with Dream Horse coming out. Um, so I'm really focused on on what's next, but I don't think I'll be shooting this year unless I go on as a producer for hire on on something, but I think maybe
3: next, next maybe spring, hopefully. Okay. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really enjoyed it and uh, good luck with everything. <laughs> No, it's it's been great. Um, And I think uh, I'm supposed to say that um, for anyone who wants to keep up to date with what we're doing, um, if you sign up to our newsletter, which you can find on the website, if you subscribe to that. And thanks, everyone. I'm still
0: here and enjoyed that very much. Thank you, Tracy. And thank you very much, Fiona, as well. That was really interesting. I was like a bit of a baby, Tracy, because at bits where, I mean, I know it's a true story. And if I thought about it, I would know the detail. But you know when you're preparing to enjoy a film yourself, I actually didn't want to be reminded of certain things. So I was a bit like a baby running out of the room when you were talking to me about things that I thought would spoil it for me. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes i know it's quite hard i hope i didn't do any i did, do, do you didn't
1: anything. do any damage for me anyway okay, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: and um actually if anyone's watching we have uh some great talks that are just about to be announced so do keep an eye on our website if you're not subscribed to our newsletter as well thanks so much hey thank, thank, you. thank you very have much Tracy, okay. Thompson, see you all Bye. bye-bye If you want to learn more about what we do or find out how you can support WIFT Ireland, visit wft.ie.